to God. I invite you to be seated. Well, there seems to be a very clear implication of what this story wants us to see. Don't think too highly of yourself like the Pharisee does. Instead, be like the humble tax collector. Now, I will not attempt to say anything different than that. But I would encourage us to see that this is not about deciding which of these two are good or bad. Now, it's understandable to take the position that the Pharisee is the bad guy in this story because he so blatantly is self-righteous, obnoxious even in the way he speaks here. Here's a man in the temple openly bragging about his faith while literally pointing out the sins of another right there in the very room with him. He feels so without shame that he's willing to voice out loud to God and anyone could hear that I'm not glad I'm, I'm glad I'm not like this guy over here. He justifies himself even further by pointing out that he gives generously. He fasts twice a week, which is more than religious code asks of him. And he doesn't steal. He doesn't do harm to others. And I can imagine him looking right at the tax collector as he says these words. Now, let's be clear. He would be justified if he did not like a tax collector. There wasn't much to like about tax collectors in Jesus' day, which is why Jesus uses him in the parable, I believe, to show the extent for which we are called to love. The tax collector was absolutely no saint because he'd done real harm. However, we seem to emphasize with him in this story readily because he gives such a, a dramatic confession of his sinfulness. Even so, he didn't take money from us. He never hurt us personally. Tax collectors had a lot to feel guilty about. They weren't like an IRS agent coming and asking for taxes. And these were more like organized crime boss associates. They openly gouged people by taking more taxes than Rome asked for. And they, many became wealthy as a result. The Roman Empire was like the crime boss. And as long as he collected enough to please Rome, to save his own hide, he could take anything else he wanted without fear of punishment. That was the arrangement. That was the understanding, just how things worked. So his confession, it might impress you and me today. It might draw sympathy from us. But if we had been on the receiving end of paying unjust taxes like any Pharisee in the day might have been on the receiving end of our folks in their life, and they showed up in our church today, well, we might better understand the reaction of the Pharisee. It's possible the Pharisee was, in truth, displaying some level of justified disgust. I speculate to a point. I realize this is a parable, but it's a real-life parable. But I think it's a fair question to consider or ponder. Sure, he was confessing in the temple, inside the walls of a sacred place. But we don't know what he planned to do once he got outside those walls again. Did he change? 
Did he stop doing harm? Well, Jesus isn't interested in that for us today. He doesn't go there. The narrative seems to set us up to make a very direct and very specific comparison between who is bad and who is good. It's easy to do. But we want us to ask, is that what Jesus intends of us? Is this parable meant for you and I to decide who is good and who is bad? Now, there are two ways that, that generally we can compare ourselves. And I, I think these are probably only two way comparisons can go. We have downward or we have upward comparisons. Now, a downward comparison would be when we look at someone else or some other circumstance and say, you know what, I've been better than that person. I've been better off than that. So we feel better about ourselves. Maybe even a little above. We can also make a, a downward or an upward comparison. That's when we look at something else or a, some other circumstance. Oh, I'm not that good. I haven't done that well. And we're only left to feel bad about ourselves. That's what comparisons tend to do to us. So which are we to make here? An upward or a downward? And, and towards whom? Well, Pharisee himself is obviously making a downward comparison. I've been better than that guy. I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Yes, it is obvious that the tax collector is a model for us. He is the model of what it looks like when you repent and confess and realize that you have done harm and, and taking that concern to God, asking for grace. Even so, let's be clear. We have no indication the Pharisees done any actual harm other than being a bit self-righteous or, or a lot self-righteous. The tax collector, on the other hand, as I've said, has done great harm. However humble he acts. This is to say that any time we decide it's time to choose who is good, who is bad, who is better, who is worse. I fear we position ourselves to always be taking sides in this life. Always trying to figure out who is good, who is bad, who is right, who is wrong. And I don't know that that's going to do anything but always tear any hope of unity we could ever want. There's a story about a, a Sunday school teacher who was teaching a lesson on this passage to the class and the study went very well and at the end of the class the teacher was going to pray and, the, and he prayed this prayer Lord we thank you that we have your good word we thank you that we have this church and we're thankful that we're not like the Pharisee <laughs> now you can see the similarity between the two right very different when we're thankful we're not like but if we do that, if we, if we think too harshly of the Sunday school teacher, don't we and aren't we simply praying, Lord, I thank you I'm not like this teacher who doesn't understand this parable like I do. You see, I don't think that Jesus wants us to get caught up in this constant game of comparison. Unfortunately, and, and too often I fear that is the case in our lives, in our world, and sometimes even in the church. And for this reason, I must ask again, is this parable really asking us to choose in such a way? What if instead it's a warning? A warning to be careful of making comparisons at all. What if it's the mistake of the Pharisee is, is less that he's arrogant? Now, I, I don't mean we should not have a moral compass in life, and we should celebrate those who do good and, and understand what injustice looks like. 
We need to lift up those who repent and those who change and those who seek grace. Yet, when we begin to think that our religion and our religious life is about being better or worse than anyone else, it becomes an obstacle. I offer then that we need a different measure. We need a different comparison if we're to understand what Jesus is trying to teach us here. If the tax collector is an example for us, and I do believe he is, it's more than his example of confession. I believe the other example that he gives for us is what he doesn't say. He doesn't judge the Pharisee. He has enough of his own things to work out than to worry with the Pharisee here. Never does he speak good or bad of him. In the book of Revelation, Jesus declares, Behold, I am making all things new. And this parable, I believe, is more about God's ability to reverse the judgments that we deserve. And it's God's ability to make us new. And this can be true, and that grace is available for both men in this story. Yes, the Pharisee needed to be humbler. The tax collector needed to know that he had done harm and to stop doing it. Sometimes we need to be humbled. Sometimes we need to be redeemed. There are those times that we need to remember, as Jesus says, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. All of us. And it excites me, actually, to think that this parable is really about understanding God's nature and and how we can make that our nature. But it's a big ask. What if this is more about seeing that God's love is not a limited resource, Reserved for those who deserve it and, and kept from those who don't deserve it. We are all in various measures in need of grace. Sailors use depth sounds to find out how deep the water is below them. A thermometer measures temperature and we can use scales to weigh how much something weighs. If you want to measure the length of a board, you use a tape measure. If you're in the kitchen and need to measure salt or sugar or milk or, or flour, you use a cup or a spoon. If, if you want to measure time, you use a good clock or a timer. If you want to measure seasons, you use a good calendar. But if you want to start measuring faith, more so if you want to start measuring the value of someone else or yourself, be mindful today. Remember our parable. Your worth, our worth, our value, what kind of persons we are, what kind of persons we can become can only be measured by the gracious and loving and forgiving creator. As Thomas Merton once wrote, our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. It's not our business. And in fact, it's nobody's business. What we're asked to do is love. And this love itself will render both ourselves and our neighbors worthy. Maybe we can think about the implications of this parable in this way. Someone today, I hope, is sitting down to write the next great novel. I can't wait till it's released. I don't know what it's going to be about, but hopefully that's happening. But here's what I know true to be true about the, the great novel that will once be written. There's a fundamental rule that must be true. That being that every character in this story, we must learn to, to love or hate or be repulsed by them or struggle with them. But by the end of the story, they're not the same as they were when it began. And any story where that's not true would be a terrible book to read, I believe. 
I say that because our future is being written. And we each have a part in writing our story in this life. And God's desire is to change us into God's image more and more. And the only way for that to happen, for you and I to take on the image of God today, is to be like the tax collector. Humble. Yes, we will be changed and revered by our successes. Our failures, our faith, our joys, they will shape us. But we must seek grace in order to be transformed. And I must think that today's parable offers us a moment to think about each other and our lives and our world in a very positive way. We don't know if the tax collector got up and quit making life hard for others. And we don't know if the Pharisee ever humbled himself. That is between God and them. The question is, how will we be changed by grace? Is there hope for the tax collector? Indeed. There's mounds of hope for him. Maybe he mustered up the courage to change his life and to do differently. Is there hope for the Pharisee? Well, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. And after he took that road down the, towards Damascus, his life was changed. And he became the one who shared the gospel to the ends of the earth. Is there hope for you and me in our world today? Of course there is. Because God gives love same to the sinner as he do the saint. And which I want to offer is what reveals a wonderful grace in our story today. This parable is not about you and me needing to compare ourselves in any way to anyone or each other, our successes, our failures, our faith, to see who's better, who's worth, more or less faithful. It's about understanding the nature of God. And if we can see this, what we soon discover, I believe, is that we all are being made into a new creation. Saint pious, sinner. So who might you be in the story today? Does God seek for you to be humbled? Does God want to redeem you? Either way, grace works both ways. So what might this have to teach us about the nature of the church in this community of faith, not here but in all places? Well, in the novel, Jaber Crow, by Wendell Berry, the narrator and the title character offers his perspective on the church and his community, and more specifically the people that made up that faith community. He says, what I saw was a community, imperfect and irresolute, but held together by the frayed and always fraying, incomplete and yet ever holding bonds of affection. In the church he saw, he says, there has never been anybody in that place who had not been loved by somebody, who had not been loved by somebody else, and on and on. It was a community, always disappointed in itself, disappointing its members, always trying to contain its divisions and gentle in its meanness, always failing and yet somehow always preserving a sort of will that, well, that worked towards goodwill. I heard someone say this week that when we believe that God is for us, but against others, there is no good way forward. I have to believe that's true. Some of the best wisdom I think I've heard in a while. It's all about grace, this endeavor of becoming like Christ. The tax collector needed it. The Pharisee needed it. I need it. You need it. 
we need it together. And in Christ, the grace we're offered is grace in abundance. And it frees you and I to simply love each other without restraint, without comparisons. And if we must compare ourselves, may it always be to compare ourselves to the love of God and that love for us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Whether we identify as the Pharisee or the tax collector, God loves us just as we are. So I invite you to stand and join in singing our closing hymn. It is in your red hymnal, number 357, Just As I Am Without One Plea.